Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by confidence. Holy crap. People are really confident right now about where the 49ers are at and what it means for the 2019 season. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it after the music. But before we do that, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find us? Now, this is the great test, Raymond. Can you get our Twitter handle correct? (laughs) (laughs) You can follow us on on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via YouTube and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of the Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and get notified when we go live and comment too, because we love to hear from you. And we also love to post some of the more unique comments. Um, shout them out here on the cast live. Well, live when we're recording, of course. Live when we're recording, of course. After that, after we talk about the uh, the our reactions, what we think about this way too early schedule predictions, win loss predictions, way too early, way too early, guys. But fine, I like I love the confidence. I love it. That's what makes us Forty Nine er faithful. We're gonna go into some reader comments about last week's free agency episode, and then we're gonna do a little check in with the Warriors. But before we do all of that. Of course, the first things first, the Goldcast intro, the greatest podcast intro in the game. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Goldcast. Boom. Welcome to another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. Boom. All right, Ray. Here we go. See, the 49er fan base, we're called the faithful. Everyone knows that. We are the 49er faithful. Right there in the stadium, in Santa Clara, it says, home of the faithful. Why? Because we stick by this team through thick and thin. We are here. This is the home of the faithful. And sometimes, sometimes we get a little extra faithful. Sometimes we get a little super faithful. Sometimes we're not faithful enough. We're, it doesn't make us bad. It just makes us human. So coming out of free agency, there were a lot of early prognosticators. There were a lot of early predictions about where the 49ers would land. Where would they land at the end of this upcoming season? And most famously, Colin Coward said that he believed the 49ers would end the season 10-6 and and in first place of the NFC West. He said that the what we did in free agency doubled our wins and that put us at 10-6. and Now, if I remember correctly, as you uh, so were so quick to correct me last week, we only won four games. Am I right? That's correct. So if we doubled our wins, that would actually get us at eight, not ten. Am I right on that too? Yeah. So I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, the greatest panelist in the game. That's where I believe the 49ers will end up. I think at their best, eight and eight. 
And I will be the first to say before everyone gets crazy on me and, you know, puts me on the, the faithful rack and tears me limb from limb. I'm okay with that. I think that's huge. That'd be a huge jump. I am totally happy. If we get to 500 and go eight and eight this season, that for me is like winning a Super Bowl. I will be very happy. I'll be very satisfied with that jump. I still believe that it's too early to decide, but since this has been put out there and a lot of people on 49er Instagram, 49er Twitter have been discussing where they think this puts the team, I will throw my hat into the ring and say that I still believe between six and eight wins is the most realistic, but I want to hear your reactions when you hear that the 49ers will finish 10 and six first in the NFC West with the Rams taking a backseat at second. Does that, where do you land on that? What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? What do you think just based, what is your reaction to that? I think it's accurate because the Rams are getting older. They're the defensive people they brought in with the exception of Aaron Donald, who's in the midst of, uh, you know, a very Jason, uh, Justin Watt-esque prime are getting older. The, the defensive players they brought in in free agency are, were all rentals, short-term rentals, short-term rentals that did not even pan out as well as they hoped. And Dominican Sue is gone. He was, you know, he was serviceable, but nothing great like when he was in his prime with Detroit. The cornerbacks, they were both injured this season. They came back, you know, albeit I think, I think, I think one was, I can't remember the, the whole stats because I'm not following the Rams, obviously, in-depthly. But I know that they both did dealt with injuries and weren't 100% and did not perform to the best of their Pro Bowl ability. So, and I don't expect them to play any better this coming season either. And the, the one thing that Colin Coward said that stood out to me was the offensive line. The offensive line is getting older. And the other thing, too, is that Todd Gurley's got some weird arthritis issue, too. Which, you know, and we know that he had he had some injury down the stretch and was not able to play up to par. He clearly was not 100% for the last three or four games of the season. And throughout the playoffs, he was he was used sparingly and obviously did his best to play in the championship and Super Bowl games, albeit not quite as girly as girly-esque as the Rams would have preferred. But I think all of that plays a factor. You know, coupled with the fact that, coupled with the additional fact that Jared Goff is a quarterback who thrives when his supporting cast is terrific. He is not the type of quarterback that can carry a team without a good supporting cast. We know that those types of players, that's the elite quarterback status. Jimmy G came to a team where our offense was struggling. It had moments of flash under C.J. Beathard, but somehow, someway was able to make everyone around him better. The play-action pass was better. The wide receivers performed better. Marquise Goodwin had a career year with Jimmy Garoppolo. And so that's why everyone got so excited about Jimmy Garoppolo, because he showcased a five-game flash of somebody who comes in not knowing the playbook. He had it He had it taped to his forearm, and he had some, some off-the-cuff reads, and, and, and he was getting fed by Kyle Shanahan. But other than that, he did not know the play, playbook at all. He spent a month learning it, and even then, Kyle Shanahan's system was very complicated and still was able to not only win five games straight, but also make the entire offense play better around him. And that, to me, is a sign of a quarterback who has the potential to become elite. Jared Goff doesn't have that, so I think that with the Rams situation, them taking a step back is totally legitimate. On the other side of it, with the 49ers, um, I think... 
I'm going to say yes, but it's with it's a tentative yes, which a huge asterisk because it's so prematurely, and we haven't even had the draft yet. I think, I think, I mean, Coward's just doing what he always does, which is you know, uh, you know, suck on his own voice, and that's fine and all, but you know, for the for the sake of of the argument, you know, I think ten and six sounds pretty reasonable to me. That's where I had them the year before, Jimmy G went down, and that all changed. So I think it's totally possible that on paper, as it sits, as it sits now, minus the draft, the draft will change this projection potentially. But I think 10 and 6 is totally reasonable. Barring any significant amount of injuries that takes out, you know, half or most of the starting roster on both sides of the football, they have an easy shot to win 10 games, in my opinion, to go over 500. Not just hit 500, but to go over 500. Okay, that's fair. I will say in your defense, I did not take into consideration the fact that we do have a schedule I think that is very reflective of how we all we did last year. We have a much easier schedule, which the Rams were able to benefit from two years prior. I also agree that the Los Angeles Rams are going to take a step back. I feel like this team, their offensive scheme is fairly one-dimensional, and that was, wasn't more apparent than in the Super Bowl, as they really didn't change anything. And I agree with you. I don't feel like Jared Goff has the ability to adapt fast enough to turn this team around and and keep it at the same level of dominance. Having said that, I still believe that that team is talented enough to hold the number one spot in the NFC West. And I still think that it would be foolish to count out Seattle. I think Seattle is still really competitive. And Everyone thought they were in the middle of a complete rebuild, and instead it was a reboot, and getting younger was the best thing for that team, and they are they are good. You know, as much as I can't stand them, and I can't stand that team with everything in me, that is a very talented team with a good coach and a good quarterback, and they have managed to stay in the playoff hunt virtually every year since 2012, I think. I'm not sure if they've ever missed yet since then. I'm not sure. You know, we don't always fact-check on the gold chest. We gold cast. We pick and choose when we fact-check. So... I agree with all that, but I still believe the Rams are good enough to hold the number one spot in the NFC West. Now, here's here's why I truly believe the 49ers are not capable of the jump. This is why. My number one question is at defensive coordinator. I just, if we had a coordinator that was... And we don't, and we don't know. We don't know how things are going to work with all the new pieces in play, and if they're going to be healthy all year. There's so many question marks. I feel, but but continue, please. Yes, so many question marks at defensive coordinator. Here's the thing, and this is what we've seen. We've seen two years in a row. Shanahan is like Bill Belichick. No matter who you give him, he produces he produces at the highest level he makes it happen when no matter what you give him he puts points on the board he moves the chains and he gets this offense in position to win we cannot say the same thing about our defensive coordinator and it you know it really seems like he is slave to the level of his players and that that's not bad most most coaches are at that level but I don't care about most coaches I care about the 49ers defensive coordinator and you know so be it well I feel like John Lynch is doing his best to put 
Robert Sala in a position to win. So if he needs superstars to win, great. Well, this is the year. I'm not saying we have superstars, but we have upgraded that defense like no other in the offseason. But if we had a better defensive coordinator, then I would have no problem saying that we are going to go 10-6, and but we don't. And I have a lot of questions about that side of the ball, particularly on the coaching staff. And so for me, it's really hard to get super confident and think that that defense is capable of carrying us to more than 500. Yeah, and that's... This is kind of the make it or break it season for Sala because if everyone's healthy and they still are able to underperform, personally, I think the odds the odds were too great last year in terms of shitty performances. Like we performed at a historically bad level and broke the records that you don't want to break as a defense. And because of that, I think that we're kind of destined to go in the opposite direction. However, you know, to whatever degree, that's anyone's guess, in my opinion. I don't necessarily think we'll be number one in turnovers and and, and pressure and that kind of stuff, but I do think we'll greatly improve and be somewhere kind of middle of the road or above average is what I'm thinking, at least with the talent on paper I'm seeing now. If Quan Alexander comes back to form and, t- and picks up where he left off, then you've got a Pro Bowl in the inside. If D Ford continues his Pro Bowl play from last season to, to this season, then that's obviously going to change the pass rush. If DeForest Buckner continues his trend entering his prime, building off his first Pro Bowl trip, then that's obviously going to change things. If Jason Barrett is able to perform even at 75% of his former self, that would be a huge improvement. Richard Sherman, I think we all know what we're getting out of Richard. I think the first year coming back from his, his injury was you know, tough. And we saw that for the most part, he was extremely good and still able to play at a high Pro Bowl shutdown corner level. It's just he couldn't sustain it for 16 full games because his body's still reacclimating to healing from that injury. And for the most part, he is. So I expect this season, this season to be even better than last season because he's still clearly very capable of playing the cornerback position. He's not ready to, you know, trans transition into the safety position just yet. I think he still has another year or two before he gets there. But if he plays well, then you've got you've got solid producers at every level. And safety, safety's kind of a mixed bag because we don't we didn't pick up anybody in free agency, which means the Niners are betting on the existing group to actually stay healthy and be able to pull it together. It's just a matter of if they're going to. To be honest, I don't trust Jimmy Ward or Jaworski Tart. I don't trust either of them. I don't trust Adrian Colbert. I don't trust any of them. You know, and to be fair, John Lynch, before he went to 10 straight Pro Bowls, and he should have been in the Hall of Fame years ago, but before he went to 10 straight, before he was awarded 10 Pro Bowl trips in his career, he was injured the first three years of his career, much like a lot of these guys have been. Although Jimmy Ward's been injured like four straight years. He's broken bones. I don't know the nature of John Lynch's injuries when he came into the NFL. I just know that he was injured prone in the first two years and for some reason got a wake-up call and said, I'm not going to go down this road anymore. And we all know how that story ended. So I'm hoping that one of those guys takes, you know, has that epiphany and makes that that decision to just say no more. Now I'm going to perform to the best of my ability and I'm not going to allow whatever fear or whatever it is sometimes i a lot of times i think it's psychological where these guys get into this little perpetual trap of injuries i think sometimes it's just you can't help but they just don't have the 
they don't have the body to sustain an NFL career. And I think other times it's a psychological, there's a psychological barrier in the player's mind that won't let them get over the hump for whatever, you know, most likely fear, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, you could probably trace it all the way back to fear in most cases that, where this is, where that is the case, but you know, who knows? We're not inside their players' heads. I'm just speculating, but that's kind of where we're at. And so if the, if these guys are healthy, then I think we're going to see a defense very similar to, you know, Seattle of old where, or the 49ers of old for that matter, where they're very stingy. They cause turnovers. They're hard against the run They're and their, their pass rush is so good that it makes the, makes the passing game struggle. So I think that can very much happen. But if those players are there and their film seems to still be miscues, then the only other place you can look at, and there are already people looking in this direction, is the coaching staff. Because it's like, hey, wait a minute. Your job is to coach tackling. Why are players who are capable and have proven accolades now falling under the same bad habits as some of the young players who we were initially giving a pass to because they were young and they didn't polish their technique? Now we're seeing the polished players repeat these same offenses. You know, or something to that degree. I don't, for some reason, I have a feeling that you know the Pro Bowl players are not going to have this, those same issues. You know, Richard Sherman doesn't didn't have as many follies as the other players did, and so I don't expect that from them too much. But if you see something like that, where despite all of this talent, we're just not able to get the win and not able to, to hold teams and close them out, then yeah, I think you got to can him, and you probably got to can him before the season ends, is my opinion, because at that point. You're, you're now leaking. You're now in the middle of the ocean, you know, to use a boat analogy. You're now in the middle of the ocean. You've got a, you've got a crazy leak. So you can't, you can't wait to get to shore to fix the leak. You've got to shore up, no pun intended, the, the leak, you know, instantaneously. You've got to take action immediately. So that's the kind of situation where we're going to have this year. If, and it's a big if, if Robert Sala can't pull these guys together. I mean, if he can, it's, he's done. I mean, I, I do believe this is his make-or-break year for him. And that's that's my one caveat. That's why I don't believe we're capable of getting beyond 8-8 eight and eight this year. It's there. That's it. It's just the coaching staff of the defense. If we had someone that was on the level of Kyle Shanahan, I'd easily, happily give us first place. But I just don't trust it. The defense has been put— Well, we'd have more wins than the last two years if that was the case, I think. You know, if we had a Vic Fangio there. I think they'd still be bad. They'd still be on the lower end. The, the, they'd still be on. They'd still be mostly on the receiving end of bad stats. But I think you could maybe add two, three more wins to the total in both seasons. So we're around seven and nine, eight and eight. Yeah, yeah. All right, moving on. Let's go on to some reader comments about free agency. We asked everyone last week, give the 49ers a grade or at least let us know your thoughts. John Niner popped on and said. He was glad that we passed on Odell Beckham. He said, quote, he's nothing but an injury diva receiver. No thanks. Also, I like some of the receivers in this draft. Debo Samuel, Hakeem Butler, Marquise Brown, A.J. Brown. I would rather give money to Earl Thomas, but the thing with Kawan, he looks like he's an injury-prone player, but he also can't tackle very well. So I don't understand how he got so much money for, inju- for, for an injured player who can't tackle. 
So then Andy Laird came on and said, I would grade our free agency a B. It was a C until we got D Ford. And the details of how, of how team-friendly all these contracts are was published. Disappointed we could not get Earl Thomas. I think we will now use our second-round pick on a free safety. The best news was that we did not sign AB or OBJ. Our draft capital is too expensive. I believe our wide receiver is waiting for us in the third round. If a QB goes at one, only hope the 49ers do not try and get too clever. Dra- just draft Bosa. Let's go. Jabari Owens said, my thoughts on the 49er free agent moves. It's obvious the moves they made were to make up for the 2017 draft, namely Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster. And then finally, B Monus, B Nuss, I'd give them a B plus. The contracts were big, but front loaded. If they don't work out, we can cut loose after one year for D and two years for Quan. We had too many holes to trade for That's OBJ. That's true. Mm-hmm. We had too many holes to trade for an OBJ or AB. Got the best edge available while still having picks 2 and 36. Plus, if we don't spend enough cap, we just lose it. So might as well spend it on some high upside players. Those were the comments. Ray, what did you think? Let's actually start with John Niner saying that uh, he rather would have given that money to Earl Thomas, and he's glad we pass on OBJ. What are your thoughts on that one? Um, I agree. Well, actually, I, I don't agree because we actually went for OBJ, and the point is we couldn't afford it afford him because a we have too many holes as another uh user pointed out and we didn't have the draft capital to afford either ab or obj i don't think we were really interested in ab once oh, once it was known that obj was also going to be available too just because if you're going to weigh the two on one another i think you would rather in my opinion and we've i've talked about this before is that you would place your bets on obj because he's five years younger and he's just as productive in his first three years, just as uh, AB was. In fact, slightly more productive in certain statistics, statistical categories. All right. So Andy Laird, what did you think about Andy Laird grading us a B, saying it was a C until we got D Ford? That's actually exactly how I felt. Um, I felt that our it was okay. Quan Alexander getting a record deal after an ACL injury just shows you how competitive the NFL is that teams are willing to overpay as long as you have some kind of as long as you have some upside that's worth investing taking a risk in. In this case they say, "Hey, you're 24 years old. You had two pro bowls under your belt in your early 20s. There's a good chance that A, you're young enough that your recovery from this injury is going to be a lot better versus if you are 29 or 30. And that said, the likelihood of you being able to recapture the level of play before you got injured is also high too because of your youth. It's all based on his age. So this bet is completely based on his age. But after that, I was like, okay, that's kind of a, you know, that's a lot, that's better than a bulky than the the version of that that Balky would have selected, right? In my opinion, so I see I see what they're looking at, and I'm like, okay, that's reasonable. You still overpaid quite a bit, but I I see where where you're coming from. Then we got D Ford, and I was like, all right, now we're getting somewhere. This guy had ten ten sacks in his breakout season. Then he had a back injury that really limited 
the following season. He wasn't able to capitalize, but then he comes back even stronger the year after that. So that shows me not only, hey, I had a significant injury. Not only did I overcome that adversary, but I surpassed where I even left off prior to that injury. So that shows resilience, fortitude, determination, commitment. Uh, it shows a lot of good qualities that I think the 49ers were just in love with. And as a result, I think this one wasn't even all that expensive to me. I think this was a tremendously good deal for the 49ers. And Parag Marathe is obviously amazing at his contract. Uh, his contract write up, the way, his ability to write up these contracts. And this was just a huge pickup. And it totally bumped that. That one bumped us up. But the other one that kind of sealed the deal for me was the Tevin Coleman trade as well, or the Tevin Coleman signing. Two years, $10 million for a proven two-way back, meaning he can catch and he can run. And he's productive at both of those, and he's familiar with Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, that was my favorite. All right, so let's go on to what do you think about Jabari Owens saying that the, this basically, what we were doing here was making up for the 2017 draft of Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster. Part of it is that. I mean, we don't know Solomon Thomas. I mean, you you could argue that, you know, we needed an edge rusher anyways. So we've we've been trying to get an, we've been trying to get an edge rusher since we drafted Solomon Thomas. So we got it the same year we got Solomon Thomas, and now we've got another draft pick in in addition to that. So the Foster thing had to be addressed, and obviously Quan Alexander is addressing that. And you have a little bit more surefire insurance in terms of his attitude and off-the-field antics. You're not going to get that with Quan Alexander. You're going to get a player that's still young, but is not coming from the same upbringing that's going to make him susceptible to getting into trouble off the field. And despite the ACL injury, is not getting injured every other play as he was when he was in the NFL. For some reason, he was like always injured every other play, getting the wind knocked out of him. So we just, I think to me, that was just a reflection of just how undisciplined this person was. He was undisciplined in his, in his home life, and he was partially undisciplined in his football technique. And as a result, it just led to a lot of mishaps, a lot of, a lot of hurdles. And that was reflected on both sides. Uh, that was reflected on the field and off the field. So I think there's a lot of correlation to that. So it's not a coincidence that, you know, those that those things kind of tend are are parallel to one another. And Quan Alexander is is so I, I agree that there's some issue. I don't know. They're not done with Solomon Thomas. Solomon Thomas isn't deemed a bust yet. I, in person, in my opinion, I think he's out of position. I think he needs to be. He needs to play. I I agree with Dante Whitner thinking that he needs to be up and play edge uh, like in a 34 defense versus the what they're asking him to do now. I just don't think it, it fits. I just don't think it's a good fit for him, in my opinion. I also think that the personal issue of him losing his sister has greatly weighed on him. There you go. Last one. So B-Monus, he said, B-Monus, B-Monus, bonus, Mo? I don't know. But anyways, I like <laughs> the name. So uh, we got here, he says, we had too many holes to trade for OBJ and AB. Got the best edge available while still having picks number two and 36 plus we don't have enough cap we just lose it so might as well spend it on some upside players what did you think about that comment all right read that one one more time i missed uh, the first half of it that's all right he said we had too many holes to trade for obj and ab and we yes. got the best edge available while still keeping picks two and 36 and yes if we don't spend enough cap we just lose it so we might as well just spend it anyways yeah you have to spend it anyways i think they're spending it carefully though they're spending it so that they're not bottlenecking themselves in the future. So you notice that everyone we bought 
is all relatively young, with, this, with the exception of probably Jason Bear. I think he's the oldest one that we signed. Everyone else is young, and all of the young avail and all of the old available free agents we passed on. We pat we didn't even give a apparently we didn't even give a sniff to Antonio Brown because like you're too old, you're in the ground swing. We're trying to get younger, which is why they went after OBJ aggressively. And the point was the Giants wanted our second round pick, and we we're saying, all right. If you're going to take our second round, at least give us your sixth so we're still within the top ten. That means that means that your the chance of you getting Bosa is probably lower now, which or it's 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 probably less because now Giants would go into number two position. They're most likely going to pick a quarterback at that position, is my guess. Um, and I still think the Cardinals pick a quarterback. So the first two positions would be quarterback. Then you have three, four, five, which could be defense. Um, very efficient. Yeah, and then our chances of getting at least Bosa or Allen are higher if we get yeah, that six I mean, pick. So it, then, then, then Allen or Quillen Williams becomes much more likely because I don't think all three of those defensive players goes with the with the three, four, and five picks. I think we would end up with one of them. It just might not be a surefire. You know, Bosa seems very surefire if he's at number two. You know, if he's at number two, number two, you have the pick of the litter. You know, you really do. Not so much with number six, albeit you still have some pretty solid choices there with the group that's coming in. But yeah, I think he's right. We didn't have the draft capital, and I've said that numerous times. So we they, they were just too expensive. We we asked the Giants to give us a six if they wanted our two. They weren't willing to do that. They wanted everything, and they were willing to give us lesser picks for that. And then I just that wasn't the right trade for the 49ers to make. So I'm glad it, that it didn't work out. Um, I mean, even if it did, it would have been great. Because we'd have had OBJ and then the six-round pick, and that would have been fine. But the fact that it didn't work out, like it's not like the end of the world, is what I'm saying. So I'm okay with the way things worked out. Uh, OBJ is kind of a, a whiny little bitch, but I mean that's that's <laughs> <laughs> irrelevant to to what he produces on the field. Most receivers act this way now. This is it's been this trend since the T.O. days. Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, even Chris Carter to a degree. Andre Risen way back in the day was kind of like that, and. Um, so this is nothing new with a good wide receiver. They're all like that. Megatron was like that. Uh, the the what was the Dallas Cowboy wide receiver? Des Bryant. Des Bryant was like that. Um, they've they they're all like that. Ocho Cinco changed his name legally to Ocho Cinco. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You know, after being Chad Johnson, so that guy was like that. They're they're they've all. For some reason, they've all got baggage, and the problem is, is because when when the when the ball's in their hands, they're the player. If they were facilitating the offense like a quarterback does, then the ego would behave differently. But because the play revolves around them, it's a very egocentric position, and so naturally, the psychology uh, of those players is very egocentric, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. But yeah, um, to 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 shorten to to make a long story longer. That uh, that was an accurate comment. All right, there it is. Now, before we leave, Raymond, let's check in with the Warriors. Uh, they had their, I think this is the second time this year they've said that the Warriors suffered the worst loss in Oracle since blah, 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 blah. Right, which matters only to stat geeks. Yeah, so are we worried? They're just bored, right? They are waiting to get to the playoffs. They played the Pistons tonight. They actually won 121 to 114, and they even got, you know, handedly beat in the fourth quarter. They got outscored 37 to 24 in the fourth quarter and still won, and still didn't have DeMarcus Cousins or Andre Iguodala. So, pump the brakes. 
right? Let's just pump the brakes. Everyone pump the brakes. Everyone relax. We're fine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they're just waiting to get to the playoffs. The Warriors always get a little, what's the word? I guess lethargic. Uh, maybe yeah, complacent. Lethargic. Yeah, complacent. I think that's a better one. They always get complacent during this time of the year. Well, after they won like two, two, when they won the second one, it was a little bit like that. Um, when they won the third one, this last one that they won, that's that I feel like this season's even more even more complacent than the previous one. So the previous two years, I felt like the the previous year when they first won with Durant, I think there was a little bit of that, and but it's even more so more so this past season and that's because they're so dominant that's it i think it's just to them it's like they're in the mindset of like we're already going to the playoffs there's no doubt in our mind that we're not going to make the playoffs so in our mind it's just a matter of like can we get there already that's like that's where they're at already yeah i don't think the first or second seed really matters to them it doesn't. I mean, technically, they're the first seed right now because they won tonight. So they're 50 and 23, and the Nuggets are 49 and 23. So that puts the Warriors a half a game up in the Western Conference. But, you know, this can go back and forth for the next, what, two, three weeks that we have left. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, everyone pump the brakes. We're okay. Now, before we leave, Ray, why don't you let them know? Where can they find you? Oh, wait. Hold up. Hold up. Before I close this off, next week is our next gold dive. We're not going to say the game, but we're going to say you definitely want to be here for next week's gold dive. It is going to be super oh, super dope. Yeah. I don't even I don't even want to hint at which game it is. No. No, but this game this I'm I'm gonna say one thing, but Raymond, it will not spoil anything. I think this is one of the greatest takeovers done by a 49er in history. I could say that, right? I think you can say that. Yeah. It is one of the greatest takeovers I've ever seen by one player in 49er history. You have to be here for next week's gold dive. This is one of the most badass games ever in the history of the 49ers. And history of just NFL football lore at all. All right. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, now, Raymond, before we go, why don't you let know where can they find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Ray Solis, and you can also follow me on Instagram at Ray Solis1. Boom. And you can find me on Instagram at Rudy Solis 3RD and Twitter at Rudy Solis 3. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis the first baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. This is, this is the Gold Cast.